Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. We're talking a lot of truth these days about a lot of different topics, and most recently, we are all talking about Anthony Fauci's emails and the truth of the COVID-19 pandemic and how the Trump administration did their best, even though they were clearly very, very undercut by an underhanded, scheming, conniving doctor who I think should have gotten fired a long time ago. So to discuss all of this and more now is my good friend Dinesh D'Souza, who is the host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, which just reached its 100th episode. I love this show. And Dinesh, thanks so much for joining me tonight on Just the Truth. Jenna, it's always a pleasure. And uh, yes, I'm very excited about the podcast. I just began it in January, so it's a new venture for me. I'm used to doing the periodic books and films and movies, um, but I haven't had a sort of daily forum. And so I'm excited to do this. I do it audio and video and it's five days a week and I'm enjoying it very much. Well, we're all enjoying it who listen to it. Um, I love your uh, truth telling really and your direct courageous voice on so many issues. And you have spoken up um, over the years, I think very frankly, and we need that kind of leadership in America. And so, you know, as we're looking at the Biden administration, um, which, you know, I actually agree with with Tucker Carlson, we shouldn't even be calling it the Biden administration because he's not the one who's actually leading this. Um, who do you really think is in control of the White House right now as we're looking looking at how completely out of it Joe Biden genuinely is. I think the guiding spirit of um, the Biden administration is actually Obama. It's not entirely wrong to call this Obama's third term. At one point, Obama even hinted, he sort of sarcastically, but it's turned out to be eerily prophetic. He said, you know, gee, I wouldn't mind a third term or if I could kind of just whisper in somebody's ear and have them sort of go to the ceremonies and them say the words. And, you know, here's Obama, one of the few presidents who's still in Washington, D.C. He, uh, you've got a whole bunch of Obama people in the Biden administration. As you said, Biden, Biden's sitting in the canoe, but I don't think he's operating the oars. I don't even think it's Kamala Harris. Uh, so it's not unreasonable to think that uh, Obama has an outsized influence uh, in shaping the Biden administration. And isn't that really interesting to go back and see what uh, some of these people have said and some of their predictions that uh, now are clearly evidencing where they stand, like Obama. And on your uh, one of your most recent podcasts, Dinesh, um, you were talking about the January 6th uh, commission and what a lie and ridiculous uh, thing that is, and also uh, particularly about Officer Snicknick. And um, I just wanted to get uh, kind of your opinion on that whole narrative from the mainstream media versus the truth of what genuinely happened. You know, the, there was a um, this was a spontaneous movement for the most part. The people who came to Washington D.C. Now there were some malefactors who planned beforehand uh, to go into the Capitol. 
uh, I think that we should just evenly apply the law. And so if somebody assaulted a policeman, they should be charged with assault. If somebody was trespassing in the building, they should be charged with trespass. But this idea that we're dealing with, you know, the greatest threat since, you know, Fort Sumter, uh, you know, the, the worst attack, uh, it's rivaling 9-11, uh, comparisons to the Oklahoma City bombing, all of this is just so preposterously out of range with what we actually saw and what was actually recorded on videotape. Now, very interestingly, when the New York Times first reported that Officer Sicknick had been struck on the head with a fire extinguisher, we they knew that they were lying. They knew that they were making that up. Why? Because pretty much everything that happens in the Capitol is recorded. It's on surveillance. The New York Times never had the videotape. And so they resorted to the kind of cheap tactic of quoting unnamed officials saying that something happened that clearly wasn't on record. Yeah, and that seems to happen all the time with the mainstream media, and yet they are never held accountable for it. And that was something that was a continual frustration, I know, for President Trump, for the campaign that I was part of, and I think for just average Americans who want the truth. And for the mainstream media to continue to call this an insurrection, I also think is a ridiculous hyperbole, because you, as you said, anyone who actually violates the law needs to be uh, brought to justice. But to actually think that occupying a room in the Capitol is somehow going to overthrow our system of government, I think that's also preposterous. Let, let alone if the occupation lasts for like 90 minutes, you know. In other words, we've all seen campus occupations, people jostling around, they kick over the president of the college's waste paper basket, they make demands, they shout a lot, they have banners. So there was nothing out of the ordinary here. In fact, this was extremely mild compared to what Antifa and BLM do regularly. I mean, the January 6th protesters didn't burn down a church. They didn't attack a court building. Uh, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the, the kind of assaults that we've seen continuing for months in Portland. There's nothing to, to even compare that with. And yet those guys get caught. They get released. They're not held in solitary confinement. Uh, so there's an unbelievable double standard of justice uh, that is being applied here. Uh, and also, it's kind of funny, the Democrats want this big January 6th commission to investigate something that, quite honestly, we really know what happened, when we really need a COVID-19 commission to investigate what Fauci knew and when he knew it, what was the relationship between the American labs and the Chinese labs, and if the virus did come from the lab, was it released negligently or deliberately? Right. And this is something where, you know, you brought up BLM and Antifa, and I want to get into that when we come back from break. Uh, but, you know, this is something as well where they're harnessing, the Democratic left is also harnessing uh, the January 6th events that they tried to do this second impeachment and used the power of impeachment again politically a second time against President Trump to try to hold him accountable for the actions of, you know, all of these other people in a way that is just so profoundly unconstitutional and with such an embarrassing violation of our supreme law of the land. And I think as we move forward as Americans, we have to recognize that the Constitution as our supreme law of the land needs to be applied in its original understanding and context. So we'll be right back with more on Just the Truth. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and I'm talking with my good friend Dinesh D'Souza, who is the host of the Dinesh D'Souza Show, which is a podcast that you absolutely need to stream. It's one of the best out there, and he just completed his 100th episode. I love this podcast. I love Dinesh's viewpoint and how he just cuts to the truth and, of course, from a biblical worldview perspective and from someone who is, of course, a great conservative patriot. So, Dinesh, uh, we're continuing the conversation, of course, about all of the uh, events that the Democrats are trying to skew the narrative and um, you were talking about BLM and Antifa and how the Democrats are the ones, I mean Kamala Harris during the campaign was literally suggesting uh, that she would help bail people out of jail during these mass protests and I just find it so incredibly uh, lawless and ridiculous that we have two people now who are in the highest offices in America that don't respect the rule of law. Yeah, you have Joe Biden saying that um, Antifa is an idea. By the way, I quoted Biden saying that on Facebook, and I kind of got dinged for it. They they put a, a message on it saying lacking context, as if there was some <laughs> context that you know that Biden had supplied that I had omitted, even though the quote itself was completely accurate. And it's completely preposterous because you know you've got hordes of Antifa members, you've got Antifa organizations, Antifa websites people in all these costumes and they've got these baseball bats. It's literally a kind of brown shirt or black shirt operation on the streets of major cities to, to sort of pretend that it doesn't exist is just downright laughable. Only a Biden can get away with that because then the way the press treats Biden, I don't know if you've noticed, Jenna, they treat him the way you would treat a, a retarded relative. <laughs> so that if he says, I'm eating an ice cream, they go, ooh, wow, ha, ha. They're all amazed that he's eating an ice cream. Uh, so there's a kind of built-in condescension as if they expect him to act like a five-year-old. And so if he acts like a six-year-old, they're kind of wowed. Uh, now, you're right that you have with Antifa and BLM, thugs who have the support uh, or they have friends in high places. They're friends in the media. They're friends in Hollywood. They're friends who put up bail money. They're friends like George Soros and his organizations or his networks. Uh, and finally, they have friends high up in the in the Democratic Party, including in the White House. So this is a very troubling scenario. And there's no parallel on the right. Biden says, you know, uh, the great threat to the homeland is, is white supremacy. But there's no white supremacist who runs a movie network uh, or runs a, a cable channel uh, or runs a major corporation or has the kind of levers of power that we see uh, supporting Antifa and BLM. Yeah, and where do you see this movement now to defund the police genuinely headed when you see, you know, some of these people who've been advocating for it and now we see, you know, crime rate is rising. I mean, I have family in uh, Oregon who are talking about how Portland, you know, is still the uh, the murder rate there is going up. I think uh, she said it was like 800%, which is insane. And you have all of the, uh, the Antifa and the BLM and all of these people who are ignoring the rule of law, but then you also have a lot of these attorneys general, you have all of these politicians that are even on the state level. I mean, where can this go before it actually gets a breaking point when you juxtapose that against the reasonable states who are conservative and who understand that, yeah, you got to abide by the law? Well, I mean, uh, you're going to have a lot of people leaving states that are dysfunctional, that don't work, that have uh, horrible rates of crime, 
uh, that have homeless people who come up to you in a restaurant and lift a chicken leg right off your plate. Nothing happens to them. Uh, in which you've got, you know, uh, unsightly tents and people urinating on the streets and defecating. I mean, I saw this growing up as a kid in Mumbai, India, but that was the, you know, you could almost call it the living set for Slumdog Millionaire. I didn't expect to see that in America, uh, but we're seeing it now. So I guess, Jenna, if I ever feel nostalgic for my growing up days in India, I just need to go to San Francisco. But your question is like, where does it end? You know, it only ends when the people who live in those places say enough is enough. Because as long as voters keep electing uh, these uh, district attorneys and as long as they keep electing Democratic administrations, which have been running these cities for years, you're going to find this cycle of dysfunction and poverty and misery and crime and nihilism continue. And that's such a great point about elections. And I am so frustrated to see that so many people in the wake of what happened in 2020, and you know, I was right there. I know that uh, you know, the election in 2020 in at least six states was totally lawless. The state legislatures refused to step in. We have a lot of work to do on election integrity, but it's not the answer to simply say, well, then I'm stepping out and I'm going to refuse to vote then and participate, because then we're just handing it over to the Democrats. Well, I agree with that, but I do think that there needs to be a concerted effort by the leaders of the Republican Party to fix the system, because it's kind of like saying, you know, like, for example, I like Vegas. I like Las Vegas because it's um, it's got great food and it's got great shows. Uh, but I actually don't I don't go to gamble. Why? Because I know the rules are rigged in favor of the House. So because of that, I'm like, I know I'm out. Uh, because it's set up in a rigged system. So in some sense, I have some sympathy for Republicans who say, hey, listen, we need to fix the system so it is a fair game. Otherwise, you're asking us to play on a tilted playing field in which you don't have real democracy, but our participation is sort of symbolic. And then the Democrats can say, oh, yeah, we had an election, but you know, we just happen to win every single time. Uh, so this is why the voter integrity issue is critical. The RNC needs to step up. Republican lawyers need to step up. Republican donors need to invest in fixing this process just to build voter confidence where I think we're more than willing to fight on a playing field, but we want it to be a level playing field. As it should be, absolutely, because here in America, we get to select and prefer our leaders and the vote matters. And you're absolutely right. Transparency and making sure that we have those safeguards is the paramount issue facing America. And, um, you know, I have to ask you about uh, the whole COVID-19 pandemic. And speaking of transparency and uh, being fundamental fairness and all these things with uh, Dr. Fauci's emails. I mean, all of these were released uh, through the FOIA request. It actually surprised me a little bit that it was Washington Post and BuzzFeed that were asking for these. I mean, is this something where you see the mainstream media and some of the Democrats kind of throwing him under the bus and saying your time is up? Or what's kind of the, uh, the narrative in the media when some are actually bolstering him and saying, oh, wow, look at how well he handled the pressure? The implications of the story are huge, and they go way beyond Fauci, because, um, you know, take, take a small example. You have um, Facebook using fact checkers, and these fact checkers have used their so-called fact checking process to literally take down millions of posts, um, get millions of people demoted and banned and their distribution restricted. Why? because they are supposedly spreading misinformation. And they're relying uh, as a source for this, quote, misinformation uh, on uh, virologists 
who directly have a vested interest in the Wuhan lab. They have put money into the Wuhan lab, uh, or they are American collaborators with the Wuhan lab. So naturally, they don't want any blame to fall on them. Naturally, they want to say, oh, it's all misinformation. This obviously came from a bat in a meat market um, and, and occurred by natural causes. This was not a man-made virus. Now, look, Jenna, I mean, here we are 15 months into this pandemic. Has anyone told us before now that you've got American scientists with taxpayer money collaborating with Chinese scientists to take deadly viruses, viruses that are already deadly, out of bats and then soup them up. In other words, make them, uh, genetically modify them to make them more uh, contagious and more lethal. Uh, and so think about if that was the cause of a global pandemic that's killed 600,000 people in America, as many has died in the civil war, uh, and millions worldwide. I mean, think of the implications of that. And we didn't even know. Uh, Fauci never even whispered a word that this was even going on. He knew it's going on. We know that from the emails, but he concealed that information from the public. He pretended like there was only one obvious explanation for this, namely a naturally occurring virus where there were two possible explanations, but the second explanation, apparently, he didn't want to see publicly aired. He didn't want to see publicly investigated. And this is just the most disgusting and horrendous uh, crime against humanity uh, that, you know, has occurred, of course, in, in our most recent history. And so where, where do you think that this uh, needs to go then in terms of holding Fauci accountable and also the media? I mean, Trump was telling us uh, very early on in the pandemic that, you know, this is, this is man-made. I mean, I've, I definitely uh, considered the, the possibility and the likelihood that this was bio-warfare from everything that I heard on, you know, the campaign side and all of that. And yet the mainstream media continued to suppress that story. And as you said, they deplatformed a lot of people like my next guest. Uh, coming up, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. He's been deplatformed just for positing a theory and also positing a different sort of uh, solution like hydroxychloroquine. I mean, you were a crazy conspiracy theorist if you even suggested it a year ago. I mean, the United States, if we had any kind of leadership, and obviously we don't, and none of what, none of what I'm about to recommend is going to happen, but the United States would call an emergency meeting of all its major allies to say, hey, guys, listen, uh, if this came out of the Wuhan lab, yes, it could be accidental, but quite frankly, there have been at least six major leaks out of the Wuhan lab before. Uh, leaks that connected with the, the release of deadly viruses that cause SARS. Uh, so is it possible that you could have so much negligence that it happens again and again and again for the seventh time? Usually after something happens repeatedly, you begin to suspect that somebody might have wanted it to happen. And look at the beneficial results of this from China's point of view. Not only did it help, not only did it hurt Trump politically, but it's helped China strengthen its relative position in the world vis-a-vis -vis the United States. So the results from a political point of view and from a global point of view and strategic point of view, very beneficial for China. So if it's not a bioweapon, it's functioned like a bioweapon. It's achieved the same results that a bioweapon would achieve. Right. And you know what we call in law the people who repeatedly do the same thing, even if they think it's accidental, they want to posit that as habitual offenders. And the Chinese Communist Party is definitely a habitual offender. So, Dinesh, in just the last 20 seconds or so we have here, where can people find your podcast, find you on social media and hear more of your great content? 
The podcast is available in audio on Apple, Spotify, and Google, uh, and it's available on video on both YouTube and Rumble. So just search my name, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, and do subscribe to the podcast. Take a listen, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Yeah, well, I definitely do. And thank you so much for joining me here on Just the Truth. And speaking of uh, continued more truth, we're going to be talking with Dr. Zelenko about the truth of COVID-19 when we come right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And we're continuing to talk about the truth of COVID-19 and how the mainstream media, Dr. Fauci and others are trying to hide the truth from you. And joining me now is a truth teller and someone who has been trying to communicate the truth to the American people throughout this entire pandemic, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, who's a medical doctor. And uh, Dr. Zelenko, thank you so much for joining me. And first, I want to uh, to get into what you understand to be the truth of the COVID-19 uh, the facts of that, not just the mainstream media's narrative, but then also how big tech has sought to silence and suppress you from telling that truth. Well, it's, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's become obvious to everyone now that this is an artificially made uh, bioweapon. What is called gain of function is a very deliberate term to mislead the public. It's a transformation of a benign viral virus into a, a weapon of mass destruction. And the, believe it or not, the actual research for this started at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Then it was outlawed in this country. And um, Fauci sent critical technology and funding to Wuhan to continue the production and manufacture of this uh, and research into this bioweapon. So that's a very big question to me. Why would someone who's supposed to protect the interests of Americans uh, send crucial technology to our arch enemy and then help them uh, fund the research. Right. And with the mainstream media now finally uh, having to recognize that uh, this likely was leaked from uh, the Wuhan lab and President Trump was saying that very early on. I mean, I remember him saying this as early as, you know, April of 2020. And of course, the mainstream media tried to silence and suppress that. Um, and and, in, and even just the, the hydroxychloroquine uh, protocols and some of those things that you've championed and advocated for that uh, actually resulted in a Twitter suspension for you. And now uh, you told me just uh, yesterday, now Google is trying to suppress you from sending documents. I mean, this is all related to COVID-19, right? Yes, correct. I've been since uh, last March um, advocating for pre-hospital 19 my data has shown an 84% reduction in hospitalization and death. So out of 600,000 uh, dead Americans, we could have prevented 510,000 from dying. And this data has been now reproduced dozens of times by top researchers around the world. So this is as, as much of a medical truth as, there, as anything else is. And, and uh, it's very disturbing that this technology, this information, access to these medications has been suppressed um, and the result has been 
basically a crime against humanity. And Fauci led, uh, you know, led this this suppression of the truth. If you remember when President Trump announced that hydroxychloroquine is a game changer and could, could be considered one of the biggest uh, discoveries in medicine, Fauci immediately um, contradicted the president and, and, and downplayed any um, importance to it. And since then, there was a firestorm of, of vilification of this medication and anyone else who was trying to use it or advocate, it for, advocate for it. So that I was deplatformed. I was eviscerated in the media. My reputation, at least they tried to slander it, all because I was pushing for a approach that cost $20 a patient and reduced death by 85%. Wow. And this is just horrifying. And as you said, a crime against humanity that when we have a drug that's already been on the market for years and years that is shown to uh, to help and to work. And so why do you think that uh, Fauci in this position, I mean, what what was his intent behind this? I mean, as someone who was supposed to be leading uh, the pandemic protocols, uh, I mean, isn't this the first duty of a doctor to, to do no harm and to try to do the best thing that they can for patients. I mean, what would possibly be the motivation here? Well, one thing I can tell you for sure, that his motivation was not the best interest of the American people. Whichever master he did serve, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry or global interests, um, China, but it, it wasn't me and you. And that's the tragic part, because he was in a position that could have made all the difference and he could have led, he could have been a hero for the ages by advocating for quick, easy, cheap, safe uh, therapeutics that would have prevented this bloodbath, this genocide on the elderly and uh, infirm. So uh, he misled us, he lied to us, but he is not the only one, he's just the tip of the iceberg. There was a tremendous amount of academic fraud, and the FDA, for example, revoked the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine using the basis of a fraudulent study after it was retracted. The Lancet study from Surgisphere, which uh, was a meta-analysis of 96,000 patients and said that hydroxychloroquine killed people, but it was retracted because it was based on fraudulent data. It didn't happen. It was a piece of toilet paper, essentially. And yet the FDA still used that as a basis to revoke the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine, which paved the way for expensive therapeutics like remdesivir and the vaccines. Wow. And, you know, even to have this conversation, a lot of people will slam this interview, I know, to say, well, you're just conspiracy theorists and this is something, you know, that you shouldn't trust anyone who's talking about anything other than what the government wants to tell you. But I think a lot of people are very suspicious now and they're waking up to the truth. And so while we're at the point we are, and obviously we can't go back into the past, we can uncover the truth, bring those people to justice who have done harm. Uh, but moving forward, what are your thoughts now on the vaccine um, on some of those protocols. And I'm wondering, okay, when the CDC is saying that uh, people who are vaccinated can now go maskless, they're fine. What about people who have recovered from COVID and have natural antibodies? Aren't they as good as vaccinated? And why isn't the CDC even talking about the millions of people who've actually naturally recovered from COVID? So first of all, um, I don't think our people should, American people should live in fear. There are very uh, safe and effective prophylactic and therapeutic approaches. And fear is the tool that's being used by the enemies of humanity 
to enslave us and to control us and modify our our lives according to their will. That's number one. Number two, um, there is something called medical necessity. Just because uh, I can do something doesn't mean I need to do it. Can you imagine a surgeon who operates on every single patient that comes to his office? That's a butcher. So same thing uh, when it comes to medical technology. Just because I have something doesn't mean I must use it. I have to use judgment. So if you look at the statistics based on CDC itself, anyone who is under the age of 45 and healthy has a 99.99% chance of recovery from COVID-19 without any treatment. In other words, it's safer than influenza. So why would I take a demographic that has essentially uh, zero risk if they're young and healthy and inject into them an experimental uh, viral gene therapy that has not been even approved by the FDA and only has an emergency authorization. That's number one. Number two, if anyone who had COVID and recovered and they have antibodies, why would I inject into them more anti uh, uh, a substance that will make more antibodies? Doesn't make sense. And if you look at the high-risk demographic, which in this country has a 7.5% uh, risk of mortality or death, but with proper treatment, we can reduce that risk to less than a half a percent, which essentially it turns into a flu-like illness. So why? I don't see any medical necessity for mass vaccination with a unapproved and, and experimental uh, technology that has already a lot of warning signs. And, and according to the government's own VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, over 5,000 deaths. And according to a 2009 Harvard study, only 1% of events are actually reported. So who knows what the actual death number is? I, have, uh, I know people that have died and their families tried to make a report and their reports were rejected from the VAERS system. So I promise you the number is much more than 5,000. So there's, there is a lot of concern here. So why would we take an experimental substance and inject it into people that have almost no risk of dying from COVID-19? It's not for medical reasons, that's, that's for sure. So do you see, um, I mean, the vaccine, of course, was developed under the Trump administration, and a lot of people continue to point that out. Um, but obviously, with the understanding, um, you know, if it is true that the virus was leaked from the Wuhan lab and it is a bioweapon, and I agree with you, there's a lot of evidence to support that. Um, do you see the vaccine and the RNA, uh, the mRNA technology being basically the second half of that bioweapon? Um, you know, the question is, why was there a pandemic? According to Bill Gates uh, in 2015 or 2017, I think, he said that we're going to need to um, immunize 7 billion people. So the cre he said that before there was an actual uh, need to do so. So it, it seems to me that the, the need was manufactured in order so that um, people would be motivated to take the vaccine. And this is just so disgusting, frankly. I mean, it's just, it's the most horrendous and absurd uh, possible use of, uh, of this type of bioweapon. I mean, these are things that, you know, when we look at uh, World War One and Two, and, you know, some of the other atrocities that have happened throughout the course of human history, uh, you know, just seeing some of this that's living out in our day. Um, I'm so thankful that there are voices like yours, Dr. Zlenko, that continue to speak the truth and continue to get uh, the facts out there for people 
people. And in the last just minute that we have here, um, what are some solutions that Americans can look forward to uh, moving forward in terms of getting past all of this, beyond obviously some of the legal battles, but in terms of the medicine? There are two risk factors for dying from COVID. One is the state that you live under, the government that you live under, and two, the doctor you choose. Now, when Cuomo blocked access to hydroxychloroquine to my patients in April of last year, I did research and I found another substitute that has the same mechanism of action, which is essentially getting zinc into the cell. It's called a zinc ionophore. And to, to my unbelievable pleasant surprise, these substances are over the counter. So um, quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, it's a plant derivative and you can get it at any at Amazon or any over the counter uh, place and and it essentially does the same thing as hydroxychloroquine. That's and great. also well, EGT3, which is the green tea extract. Perfect. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Dr. Zev. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And joining me now is a good friend of this show and a rising star of the conservative Christian movement and a great voice that you really need to follow, our friend Christian Lasvel, who is an administrator at Liberty University Standing for Freedom Center. Christian, thanks so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me, Jenna. Absolutely. So you're there at Liberty University. Uh, you are a student at Liberty. And um, I want to talk with you about Pride Month because we've seen so much uh, from the corporate media, the pressure that is on everyone in culture right now to celebrate pride, quote unquote, right? Um, but what kind of unique pressure do you see for your specific age group and for students on college campuses when they're dealing with these issues and actually want to take a biblical approach? Well, at Liberty University, it's one of the few exceptions where you're not going to be overly pressured to support something like this. At the institutional level, you won't be pressured at all because obviously as Christians, we don't believe um, that homosexual relationships or any of these distorted um, sexual relationships are appropriate, be it sex outside of marriage, all these things. So Liberty University is an exception to the rest of, of, of most other American universities. But at other schools, absolutely, from an institutional standpoint down to your classmates in the SGA and in all of the different clubs, there is a heavy pressure on students to not only celebrate it, but to conform to it. To, you have to support it to every extent. You're not really welcome to take a position where you say, you know, I still love the individual, but this form of a lifestyle, this practice is sinful and I can't get behind it. Um, and if you don't, you often will come under attack from be it your classmates or your school administrators, and they'll pressure you until you either comply or they kick you out. Yeah, and it's really shocking and infuriating that that type of pressure happens on college campuses and even in the workplace. And so from um, a biblical worldview, of course, we know that, as you just said, uh, Christian, that any sex outside of the uh, God-ordained institution of marriage is sinful. And mm -hmm. so this whole entire notion of pride and celebrating and the coercion of uh, these corporate companies, the government even, you know, waving the pride flag at U.S. embassies, I mean, this is just so ridiculous. And so as you're uh, talking with your fellow students, Students, what is your message of encouragement to them to be able to face this type of onslaught and to be able to stand firm in the truth and go counterculture? 
The most challenging thing is to stay gracious. It's often easy for us when people are insulting you and calling you a Bible thumper and telling you to get your religion off my throat and whatever other things they might call you, a bigot, a homophobe. It's often very tempting to respond hostily. So primarily, stay gracious, stay kind, keep your cool. But secondarily, don't give in. Do not compromise with this. We read throughout scripture of people who are having to stick to the faith in the face of dangerous, even deadly opposition at times. We're not there yet in the United States but it's becoming increasingly more hostile. So my encouragement to all of my classmates is to be courageous. There is huge reward both here on earth and later on in heaven. God blesses our courage and honoring his order for the world. So just to stay focused on what is right. And even when you face opposition, stay gracious, but don't give ground. I was just watching uh, old clips in preparation for this interview. In the early 2000s, you had President Bush who was calling for a constitutional amendment to define marriage as between a man and a woman. This was a taboo subject just a couple of decades ago, and we're now at the point where it's almost obligatory that you oblige by it. A Cuban comedian that I watched uh, several years back, I'm saying it in Spanish because that'll help me translate it, but he said, Primero fue prohibido, después fue permitido, ahora es celebrado, pero mira a ver que va a ser obligatorio. First it was prohibited, then it was permitted, now it's celebrated, but watch out, it's going to become obligatory. And that's the direction in which we're heading, where it's not enough to say, okay, you can live this lifestyle on your own. It's you have to teach it to children in schools. It's you have to pay for my transgender reassignment surgery using your tax dollars. We've gone from where we were a couple decades ago, where the president of the United States and even candidates, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, saying they were opposed to this stuff, to now even if you have deeply held religious convictions that date back thousands of years, you may be required to conform to the demands of this pride movement because that's what they want from you and no longer are your religious beliefs um, higher or more important than somebody's personal convenience. Right, and even even just respect it. I mean, these people claim that they're all about tolerance, but tolerance is never a two-way street with the Democrats mm -hmm. or with the liberal leftists and all of these activists that are pushing to say, not only do you have to tolerate, you have to join in and celebrate. And you raise a really interesting point, Christian, that, uh, you know, when I was growing up, and I'm uh, one of the older millennials, and, you know, that's my generation, and growing up, I was not confronted daily in my college life, my high school uh, career, you know, I wasn't confronted as directly, as abruptly everywhere you look. I mean, even the local coffee shop has a flag, has pins, has everything for the entire month of June. And yet your generation, which isn't that much younger, uh, has been raised and, and grown up in a completely different world. So, you know, you're coming of age at a time where the world, it seems like this is the way that it's always been. And yet, as you just said, that's absolutely not true. And I think this highlights the importance of the church and how the church needs to stand firm and at the Standing for Freedom Center, that's also something uh, that you encourage as well as for the church to engage these issues head on. It's absolutely vital for us to do and that, that point that you made is, is so, so true and so important that just a couple decades ago, the culture was radically different on this. Do we want to be to the point where, at, at certain points, homosexuals couldn't even go to bars in New, in New York, for example? No, we don't believe that's right either. But we're at the point where the church has receded from the culture, and now all of these things that were traditionally held as, well, these are taboo subjects and ways that we shouldn't be celebrating, uh, lifestyles that we shouldn't be condoning, to now where they've said, well, we'll just stay out of that arena, and now it's coming to the full circle, where now that culture is finding its way back 
back into the church and demanding of the faithful to conform to that way of living. So it's so important for my generation and the generations upcoming after us and even your generation, you're still young, to continue this Thank fight to win back our culture. And that will help us to, um, to reclaim that so that maybe in 10, 15 years from now, we're not looking at a landscape where people with deeply held religious beliefs have this stuff shoved in their face or children from age kindergarten and up being taught about these different sexual uh, perversions. We had Blues Clues the other day playing drag queen clips on, the ch on this channel. Uh, another program talking about masturbation to young children. This is the kind of stuff that is associated with the pride movement where all kinds of sexual behaviors are accepted, celebrated, and you're now being obliged to abide by. And we have to stay active in the culture, gracious, but uncompromising on the truth so that we can win back the culture, win back minds and hearts to the right order that God has established for us in his word um, and not abide by our fleshly desires. And I see that as exactly the mission of Liberty University is to be that training ground and uh, to raise up the next generation in the truth and to give students the tools, the resources, and the reason to have a rational faith and to say, no, we're not going to buy in uh, to the culture. We're not going to cave to the Marxist ideas of the left. And we are going to stand firm in all of the different disciplines. And, you know, a university really should, you know, una, meaning one, like we need to have be of one mind. And yes. that mind should be focused and centered on Christ. And, um, you know, it's a great thing that Liberty University is standing for truth. And in the next segment, Christian, I want to talk with you more about how I think the left is really targeting uh, children, you know, from Blue's Clues, like you just said, and Drag Queen Storytime. I mean, if this were something that a babysitter were doing, they'd be charged right away with, you know, child abuse, with, uh, you know, sex crimes, all of that stuff. But somehow we let this pervade uh, our children in these types of what should be safe areas, and the parents are allowing it. And so, you know, as we move forward and we look um, at where our culture is going, I'm so grateful for Liberty University, the Standing for Freedom Center, for teaching students the truth and sent being centered on the Word of God. So we'll talk more with Christian Lossville when we come right back. Continuing the conversation with my good friend Christian Lossfall, who is an administrator at the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University. And Christian, you are standing for more than freedom. You are standing for truth and uh, the biblical worldview. And I love the Standing for Freedom Center and uh, have been privileged to be a fellow there. And, uh, you know, it's just doing such important work. And as we're talking about the inundation of the culture and these lies from the culture, it can be really easy to get discouraged or as a parent or a student or um, just as, as, the, as an average American Christian uh, to be faced with what do I do with this? And so what is the biblical response here that uh, people should really be considering as they're, we're having to wade through Pride Month? Well, we're blessed to live in the United States of America, which from the beginnings has had a Christian foundation. And even more importantly, the Constitution designates we, the people, as the sovereign. Those who govern over us govern by our jurisdiction. We have to give them the permission to do it first. So for the Christian biblical response, specifically in the United States of America, is to be more participatory in your local government. You've seen a couple of parent school boards do this recently. I think of one in Texas that happened just a couple of weeks ago with critical race 
race theory where they actually voted it out of their schools, where parents are standing up against things regarding COVID, like mask mandates. That same fervor has to be taken to the education in our schools. A gym teacher recently, I forget uh, where this was, but he spoke out at his school board saying that we shouldn't be teaching our children about transgendered um, ideologies and multiple different gender pronouns for them. You have to be involved. You can make a change. The pride movement, the left, they are very good to their credit at making a lot of noise. So it seems like you're this stark minority and there's no way anyone would support you. But in reality, everybody's looking for somebody to take that first bold and courageous step and then people will come out of the woodwork to come behind you and support you. Most Americans are not fans of having their children being taught about masturbation or sex at the age of five to eight to even 10 years old. Even before they're, they've hit the stage of puberty, they're being taught all these graphic details about a sexual nature. Most Americans, whether they're Christian or not, are still uncomfortable with this. Those are the areas where Christians should be capitalizing in those towns and communities and either voting out the school board members who support this stuff or mobilizing enough people to vote on, say, a ballot issue that outlaws this kind of education in our schools. And then in your churches, have talks, have your pastors or your youth leaders discuss these topics and invite your communities into the churches and talk to them about why these things are harmful for our children and harmful for society as a whole. We have to change hearts and minds. And that's gonna start at a local level. When it comes to the big corporate corporations, big tech, media, we're struggling to get those back from the left. We're in a good fight to do that and we have to continue to do so. But start where you can in your local community, in your home church and start bringing people and talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, start winning their hearts and minds over to shift the tides of culture away from these distortions and back to what would be right according to God's word. Yeah, amen. And Christian, I just so appreciate your bold stand and your voice at such a young age and being a student at Liberty and choosing to stand firm on the word of God. And, um, you know, what? what is the way that you got to be so courageous in saying, I'm going to take a stand because I think there's a lot of young people that look at you and say, wow, I wish I could be as bold as Christian, but I'm not really sure I can do that. What, uh, what is the, the one or two things that you would tell them motivates and inspires you to be able to speak out so boldly? Look at Christians in the past who have died for their faith. Most recently in, in my lifetime was when ISIS was at the height of their reign, you could call it, when Obama was in office. And there were reports of Christians being beheaded because of their faith and refusing to denounce Jesus Christ. And because they wouldn't renounce him, they would get their heads chopped off. Yet they stayed faithful to what they believed and what they knew to be true. That was inspiring for me, who lives in a country where my religious rights are protected by the Constitution specifically enumerated in our Bill of Rights, that to me is too valuable to give up. Personally, my family came from communist Cuba. They didn't have the same rights protected that we do here in the United States. So hearing that personal testimony from my grandfather of how he refused to bow to the communist pressures, even when his life was at stake, even though they imprisoned him and beat him, was personally inspiring for me. So but to everybody, look at history, look at the privilege and the blessing that we have to live in this nation and how that's not afforded to everybody in the world. And when you have a blessing like that, it is so vital and so important to protect it because the longer you wait, the more costly your courage is going to be. When the culture is still more in your favor and the government is still more in your favor, you have to work to keep it that way before it becomes so hostile towards you that that cost of your courage goes even higher. So there's 
like I said, look at history, be inspired by the people who have gone before you, and remember that the longer you wait, the worse that cost is going to be for you. Even our founders, they were facing one of the most dangerous militaries in the world. We were nothing. We were over here in these colonies. The British sent over their soldiers. There's no reason we should have won, but they believed in what they were fighting for. They were so passionate about it. They knew that their cause was right and just, that they were willing to lay it all on the line to protect and win their freedoms mm -hmm. from Great Britain. And we should learn from that. Absolutely. And it's, it's like Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith, that those who believed on the promises of God had a reasonable, rational faith, and then they went and did according to God's promises because they genuinely Amen. believed. And that is faith and that is courage. And Christian, I think there's a lot of young people probably watching right now who are really excited about the things that you've said and are uh, you're giving them courage. Where can they find the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty and how can they get involved as ambassadors? So if you search for at Freedom Center LU on any one of the social profiles, we're on Gab, we're on Parler, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as long as they'll let us be there, uh, you can find us at Freedom Center LU. And then we also have a contact form on our website, standingforfreedom.com. You can send us a message, and I, I read all of the contact forms, and when I see that it's a young person interested in becoming an, an ambassador, we reach out and we'll connect with you on how you can connect with our network and maybe even come be a student at Liberty University so that you can be around more students who are fighting these cultural battles and being trained to do so when they're done here at Liberty University. So we'd love to have you. Awesome. And definitely follow Christian personally as well, at Christian Lossful. I know I do on Twitter because he says some really great, courageous, bold, and truthful things. So Christian, thanks so much. And we love Liberty University. Now to Just the Word. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.